Hello and welcome to a special episode of the Fabulous Pelton Cast. I'm your co-host, Kevin Pelton. And I'm Tristan Carcino. That was maybe the most excited hello to a special Pelton Cast I've ever heard. This was surprising, delightful, so many things. The Seattle Seahawks are headed to the 2002-23 NFC playoffs, courtesy the Detroit Lions going into Green Bay and knocking off Aaron Rodgers and the Packers 20-16. to You hate to see it for the Packers. Aaron Rodgers, retire, bitch! Oh, you knew it was coming. Literally, literally retire, bitch, for this one. Goodbye, and maybe Sean McVay, too. Can we end two careers in one day? Hello! We've got to start things off, though, with a toast to some... some. I don't want to say they're new friends. We've been friends all year. Since Hard Knocks, we've been friends. But we have to give a toast to the team that made this possible. What are you drinking there today? Because for me, I have a very, very fitting beer. I, I do not have a very fitting beer. I've gone back to the Rubens Crush Hunger Hazy IPA that we had on the pod a few weeks back. Crush Hunger. For me, I have a PBR from Wisconsin, and it's fitting that tonight it's getting crushed. <laughs> there you go. Well, obviously, the Seahawks had to do their part earlier, and it was a little shaky at times there in their 1916 overtime victory over the Los Angeles Rams, and said Sean McVay mulling his future beyond the 2022 season. But then we everyone complained earlier in the week about the Lions not having potentially not having anything to play for going into this game against the Packers uh, because of the fact that it was going to be played after the Seahawks games. Seahawks game. The Lions maintained they still had plenty to play for in terms of keeping the Packers out of the playoffs, a winning record, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And Dan Campbell and company came out and showed that they were as good as their words in this one. Bro, Dan Campbell. When Pete Carroll said, I was like, I was feeling on, on the fence, but when Pete Carroll said, I'm not worried about a Dan Campbell team not competing, I was just like, you know what, Pete? You're fucking right. We know Dan Campbell. No kneecaps are going to be left untorn. When Dan Campbell was out there coaching, there was no doubt in my mind heading into this game. Who knows? We didn't know what would happen, but there was no doubt in my mind heading into this game that the Lions were not going to compete their hardest in it. And I didn't get to award. I did not get to award. A 25% <laughs> Seattle sports figure of the year for 2022 because it would come eight days into 2023. But Dan Campbell, and you know, fuck it, if we're giving entire teams awards, I'm confident, I'm confident that this team will not come up as Seattle sports figure of the year again. Detroit Lions, baby! <laughs> Your Seattle sports figures of the year for 2023, 2022. You earn this one. No, I think it's got to be 2023, right? This game occurred in calendar 2023. Uh, uh, sure. But, but I might have another one by December 2023. Well, then you're going to have to award the 12.5%. I'm sorry. Uh, that's so a retroactive heroes. 25% for 2022. So Thank many you. unlikely Seattle heroes tonight. Jared Goff. Longtime Seahawks rival with the Rams, someone whose ability was hotly contested on this podcast after the Matthew Stafford trade. Wasn't his greatest night, all things considered. 23 of 34 for 224 yards, but no mistakes. Kept the kept the offense moving, and it was the op was 
not making the kind of mistakes that Aaron Rodgers did on the other side, throwing costly <laughs> interceptions. Oh, it was beautiful. When when the Packers had the drive where they fumbled the punt, uh, then had an interception that Rodgers threw that gets overturned because of the illegal hands to the face, you say to yourself, it feels like they're close. It feels like the Packers are real close to making a mistake here, but we're smart enough to know football. We've watched a thousand football games, and we know that anything you want to have happen, especially if that thing involves Aaron Rodgers and the Green Bay Packers, will never happen. Nothing good will ever happen to you. No trends will ever happen. But then the Lions score that touchdown, and something turned on that drive. When you saw Quay Walker pushing the the training staff member of the Detroit Lions, which was like, I told you about Steve Sarkeesian last week, and he was dead to me. That is unacceptable. Totally unacceptable. Not even, like, moralizing here. Doing something like that is so severely dangerous. I think they should have kicked Jaron Reed out of the game also for the blow to the head to DeAndre Swift that they didn't see. But it was like, the Packers are bad. Right now, it was just off and it was wrong and it looked like this entire season was and they're modeled after their very, very bad person quarterback, Aaron Rodgers. That's who this team is. And it was like something turned ugly there for the Packers. And all of a sudden, you can kind of feel it on that last drive. In in a lot of ways, when you see these drives and you're like facing against Aaron Rodgers, Peyton Manning, Tom Brady, players like that, you know deep down that they're going to score a touchdown. I did not have that feeling. Going into that drive, it, it had turned ugly for the Packers very, very quickly there. And to see him throw that interception and the look that he had walking alone down the tunnel after the game. Well, it was the, the F-bomb he dropped immediately after the interception. That was so, pretty great. It was a perfect cherry on top to a beautiful one Super Bowl season over a decade ago. So, uh Hope you're happy with that one, Aaron Rodgers. You would have been better off in Denver. But the other moral of the story that we learned today was, trade your star quarterback, people. <laughs> yeah, I guess I guess that is a takeaway here. I mean, it felt like it was going to be the most Packersy of Packers wins for a long period of time, as you were saying, because you had the big plays that came back due to penalties not only the interception but also the apparent touchdown to Jamison Williams earlier in this game you had Aaron Rodgers getting the five yards getting the offsides on a fourth and six on a hard count and then taking advantage of that to eventually convert the fourth down on I think that was the the play the drive where they scored their go-ahead touchdown right that sounds right I guess it wasn't no that was when Aaron Jones fumbled I think you're right that That was was when Aaron Jones fumbled yeah you're right so that didn't ultimately end up mattering, but it felt in the moment like there, things just always seem to work out for the Packers in a certain way. Aaron Rodgers says relax, and things just work out, and things were working out today until they weren't. It's so funny that that's our perspective from the outside, because I'm sure in Green Bay, they probably think to themselves, things never work out for the Packers. I mean, the thing I was thinking about at the end of this game when Rodgers see the interception is, you remember the emergency pod after the Thursday night, or the was it Monday night football or Thursday night football game, where Rodgers struggled and the Packers lost in the Seahawks, and we were just reading people, tw- Packers fans tweeting to Bill Bardwell about how bad Aaron Rodgers was. You, you don't remember this podcast? It was like a December game. Yeah. It was a, I, I don't remember what I the game was, was specifically. I think that was Monday Night Football. That sounds right. like right. two consecutive weeks we beat the Chiefs and the Packers or something like that. Because they wouldn't put Seahawks Packers on Thursday Night Football at that point of the season. So. It was either Sunday or Monday. It was a night game for sure. Yes. 
in, and it seemed like Aaron Rodgers was at the end of his career, and then subsequently he won back-to-back MVPs. Cooked. So, so it shows you what, what everyone knows on that one. But uh, Well, anyway, this season is over for Aaron Rodgers. We'd written him off earlier in the year. It was a Thursday night game in 2018. The Seahawks won 27 to 24, uh, improving to five and five on route to a 10 and six finish. That was the year they lost to Dallas in the first round of the playoffs. Still haunts me. (laughs) (laughs) The Packers finished that season six, nine and one. Mike McCarthy was fired. Mike McCarthy's in the playoffs and Aaron Rodgers isn't. That is a that is a true statement. Geno Smith is in the playoffs, quarterbacking a playoff team, getting a one million dollar bonus for the Seahawks making oh, wow. a playoffs. Yeah, so a great night him. for Geno Smith. Oh man! But let, let's talk about a few of these Lions plays for a second here, because the the fourth down decision making in this one Ooh. really crucial, and is is was noted by Zach Jabal on Twitter. Pete Carroll did go for a key fourth and one in today's Seahawks game. He absolutely did. For with the potential tying field goal, and they eventually did kick the field goal on that drive. But uh, it was a good decision and uh, one that you love to see. But a fourth and two at the Green Bay 25, same situation as the Seahawks were in when, when Carroll made that decision. In fact, I think the same score, 16-13 in favor of the Packers. Fourth and two at the 25, they go empty. And Jared Goff completes it to Chark for a three-yard pickup. When when that was happening, seeing Dan Campbell wave the offense back out there, I was like, how often do you see this? That's a motherfucking coach right there being like, stay on the field offense. Never do you see that. Always do you see the offense try to stay out there and the coach be like, come off. We're going we're gonna to blow this game right now. Or you take a delay a timeout instead of getting a delay of game when you're making the decision <laughs> that often happened that there was it was a little bit of watching that before going into that play i was like this is us not personally but like we're putting our money where our mouth is here right we're standing behind dan gamble going for this fourth down and it is literally the seahawks playoff chances on the line on this play so they complete that and it is a massive relief because not only look if they kick the field goal later whatever at least it's a lot closer field goal right yeah, especially on a cold night at Lambeau. And the Lions can do it, apparently, on a cold night at Lambeau. Uh, <laughs> it, it, the length of field goals is a pretty important consideration. I mean, I think you look at that, and then the fourth down that they go for to finish the game off, again, for going a field goal. In that situation, it was a little tougher call because the, the field goal would have put them up seven points. Green Bay would have got the ball back with about a minute 10, no timeouts. It would have been a very difficult situation for the Packers to come back from, but I still like the idea to go for the fourth down, they, fourth and they would a have had a, one there. a second to reset, right? They would have had no timeouts. There would only have been about a minute 20 or whatever on the clock. But giving the Packers, there's something about receiving that kickoff, taking the time to reset. There's something about that that give, gives an offense power. And what they did is they took the power away from Aaron Rodgers and they took the power away from the Green Bay Packers, both passes also. And that was a situation where the Lions, the strength of the Lions is their offense. Like not necessarily tonight, it was a more defensive game than I think the Lions have played a lot of the times. And and Aaron Glenn's defense came up in some timely situations. Oh, him celebrating the yes! interception. <laughs> Definitely was like a vibe. It was how all of Seattle I, was I feeling. I think there's in a that chance that, that Aaron Glenn may have saved his job with his performance today. I think they had already been trending up late in the season. I mean, I got to say, by the way, you said our friends since Hard Knocks, we're, we're going to delay the end of season uh, over under totals until we do our season recap with third Pelton brother, uh, 
Ben Baldwin later after the playoff games. But like like that I say playoff games there. Uh there we go. But I took the Lions under and was very harsh about the Lions desperation that we saw in hard knocks from Dan Campbell and Jamal Williams. And I took the L on that one. Like they they that was passion, as it turns out, not desperation. And it translated into an awesome season. And then you also have to give credit to somebody who was not featured in the hard knocks. By the way. What? I took the over on the line. Oh, yeah. No, I think you and Ben. For the record. Also have to give credit to someone who was like featured for in hard knocks for like five minutes total because he's the only Lions assistant coach, it seems, who was not an NFL star. Offensive coordinator Ben Johnson. The play after the is in a second and 20 situation, maybe first and 20 after the hold mm-hmm. to. It was like second and 17. Throw a hook and ladder on in that situation. Like it was kind of the weekend of the play that Traylon Burks did on Saturday night, where I'm pretty sure it was intentional. <laughs> when he threw just like an awful forward pass, as you know what I'm talking about. I did not see this play at all. No, I was uh, I was glancing back and forth on that one, but watching NBA last night. The Titans ran a play that I'm pretty sure it wasn't Traylon Burks just going rogue, where the intention was to complete it and then throw a lateral to the sideline. It was a much longer one, but but that lateral play that they ran, it was a thing of beauty. And in that situation, to run a play like that, and it won in the game, more or less. Like, you come down to those little tiny decisions, but on a second and 17, who knows, maybe they set up a field goal, but they were even kind of far out of field goal range at that point. Yeah, they were back, pushed back to the 31. So. I love that this is just a, a Lions-Packers emergency fight. <laughs> I mean, we'll we'll talk about the Seahawks. There, there really is kind of like, it's a thing of beauty where it is so stressful to watch somebody else and need them to win to get in, but yeah. also the release is so therapeutic. And, you know, I, I was going back and forth about this with Tim Booth of the AP during the game. He was saying, imagine how exciting it would have been if, if both of these games so were 16-13, if both these games were 16-13 going into the fourth quarter at the same time. And I, I pointed out that, you know, I, I don't think it would have been as fun if we were constantly flipping back and forth between these two games to be able to watch the entire Seahawks game and then watch the entire Packers-Lions game. Like Imagine that was if the way Lions more had something to, to play me. for, hypothetically. They would have won by 50. <laughs> I mean, I told you the line on this game, I don't know if it eventually moved. It didn't move at all after that. So Vegas is always Vegas no. In fact, it went the Lions direction. It ended up Packers minus four. It was minus four and a half at the time we recorded the weekly pod. That's so. I I will say that is Really, you got to give Dan Campbell a lot of, and the Lions in general. The Lions just being a pretty good team. I would assume DVOA wise, the Lions probably finished ahead of the Packers. Or these three teams were all pretty similar in DVOA. I don't recall exactly. I think the Seahawks were were lowest in weighted DVOA of the three because you know the Packers have been, and Lions have been coming on know, late in the season. All of this <laughs> gestures broadly at everything that's happened. November and December <laughs> and January. But they, Every game all, after the Chargers game. Look, none of these teams are fraudulent. None of these teams are the Vikings. Okay, let's be clear. <laughs> yes. That's the only thing that went wrong today is the Seahawks don't have a matchup with the Vikings coming up on Sunday. Yeah, that would have been a, a much, much more favorable matchup as, as it turns out. As it were. Well, do we want to talk about the Seahawks Rams first? Do we want to talk early about the Niners? Let's talk about Seahawks Rams and then finish up talking about the Niners. You were at this game. What was the emotion? La- well, let's do one last toast for the Lions. Oh, sure. Because yeah. I, I will say there's there is always something about one of those teams, like the Detroit Lions, cursed franchise, right? That if this would have been us cheering for the Packers against the Lions, it wouldn't have felt the same. No. Right? 
This was like, we would have been cheering for the Lions against the Packers no matter what. If this was a win in their in-game Lions versus Packers, maybe we wouldn't have been cheering quite as hard, but it would have been close, right? This was like, you just, same as with the Jags yesterday, right? It's like, the Titans have done this. We've seen what the Titans look like sneaking into the playoffs. We're done. We've experienced that. The Jacksonville Jaguars getting into the playoffs, despite the fact that it wasn't that long ago there in the AFC Championship game, it feels like it, it was an it eternity. It seems like a long time ago. In the same way that for the Detroit Lions, like it wasn't that long ago that I mean, they it, were in the playoffs. It was. They, they now, I believe, have they have the second longest playoff drought because the Jets have the longest playoff drought in the NFL. But to cheer on the Lions, it feels good. That's a team that you want to cheer for, right? So for I, sure. I was happy that it, it shook out that way. And it wasn't like, wow, we really need to count on Aaron Rodgers doing it here. Because that would have been a horrible feeling. <laughs> yes, it would have. Oh, I'm sorry, Denver also has the uh, also has a longer <laughs> playoff draft than the Lions. Which is the thing yes, that, did not, the thing that yes, did not go the Seahawks way today. They did not go 3-0. They went 2-1. and one with the Broncos winning to push their pick down to the fifth pick. But uh, there, there needs to be a certain perspective about being disappointed to only get the fifth pick. I, in the you were really mad about it. I asked, I asked what you were more of when we got in the car, you picked me up after the game and I asked what you were, if you were happier about the Seahawks winning or more upset about the Broncos winning. And you seem like you were more upset about the Broncos winning to drop the Seahawks down literally one pick. Two. They, they dropped behind oh, Arizona and Indianapolis. Oh, so it was two picks. I, I was also upset about losing my fantasy football matchup. We'll talk about that <laughs> in the weekly pod okay. when, when we toast the winners. But, but again, to be upset about having a top five draft I know. pick from this. I know. And also because like it seemed in that moment like, okay, that was great, but probably the Packers are still going to win. So now retroactively, I feel very differently about how I should have felt at 4.30 p.m. Because this was... I mean, you could have drawn up a better season, I suppose, right? The Seahawks could have been undefeated. But all things considered, you trade your franchise quarterback. You release your all-time maybe best defensive player ever, right? It's a brand new era of Seahawks football. You turn to Geno Smith as the starting quarterback. You have a brand new rookie fifth-round pick cornerback who's now the star of your defense, right? You have... Tanner Muse out there playing linebacker. Jordan Brooks isn't out there, right? Who was the dude 34? I literally didn't even know who that was. I want to say Alexander Johnson, but don't hold me to that. Who was the wide receiver? 99? 99? 88? Kate Johnson? Kate uh, Johnson is who that was. Kate Johnson made, made some plays today. Kind of money. Kind of money. excited about Derek Young getting involved in the passing game. But we, we were getting down to players where I'm like stretching the boundaries of who are these people. Correct. Right? And it's it's the funniest thing about football is like we pay so much obsessive attention to like who's the 53rd player on the roster at the start of training camp. And then by the end of the season, players are coming and going and you just like, oh, Alexander Johnson's playing. Who's oh, Alexander if I, Johnson? If I was an agent, I'd be like, you need to watch what Cam Akers did last year. Cam Akers was sent home. Right. And now the Rams will go into next season. and He is entrenched as their starting running back. Like. Apparently he goes by AJ Johnson. So that's why I didn't recognize the name. Shit changes very, very quickly in the NFL. Yes, it does. So, but for this season, for the Seahawks to have traded Russell Wilson, got these draft picks, reinvested in the future, right? Turned over the defense and to have made the playoffs in that year 
that is something that should not have happened, right? We couldn't have, I mean, I suppose if we could have conceived a scenario for the team to have gotten in, this would have been it, right? Sneaking in in, in week 18 and the very, very last second. But you know what? That's a fucking great way to be in. And because they have the number five pick in the draft, we don't even have to look at it as like, well, they're not going to get reinvested with new talent after this. We know that there's still four picks in the first two rounds coming to the Seahawks this next year after making the playoffs and good picks. There's only one other team in a similarly good position. The Eagles. No, the Detroit Lions. And the Lions. The Eagles are in a pretty fucking good position. I mean, the the Eagles are doing great, but uh, I was just making the joke about the Lions. That's why the whole team, Sports Star of the Year, 2022. (laughs) Monster year. Retroactively. Uh... <laughs> so I I just honestly like I feel like the season probably could not have gone better. They have players now. Like the Gino question is going to be a huge question this offseason, but at other positions ignoring Gino, they have players who are locked in at a lot of different places. They have young talent who's locked in at a lot of different places. They have an offensive line for the first time in eternity. I mean, talking about that Rams game. Charles Cross made probably the best play of his entire career, or at least individual play that we could see and stand out and recognize of his entire career on that very fourth down that you were talking about. Yep. What, what was the mood in the stadium as the Rams were leading much of the way here? I don't feel like things ever got... There was a Bob Condota tweet where it was like, the Rams score and it's real quiet in the stadium. And I was like, yeah, multiple that. people mentioned how quiet it was, but yeah, it was like, should people be cheering? It was, it was no quieter. I felt that stadium when it was, when it was ugly, right? But I thought I there was that... a moment, and in, like you can confirm or deny this for me, when they went to punt, I thought there was some booing, and that was, I, th- I believe, there was the a situation. Yeah, people, the... people. I will say, people were frustrated with Gino. Okay. That, that would be that's, the one thing. That's part of what I was asking here. And that was the situation. They went out to punt. It was going to be, they had gone three and out on the previous drive, three and out again. Michael Nixon does a terrific job of selling the running into the kicker to extend the drive on that one when, I mean, he did get hit, but it was a player got blocked into him, pushed into him, rather than a Rams player actually recklessly going into the punter there. It probably should not have been a penalty. And... Yeah, I guess you're. I, I will say that the mood around Gino is probably the most negative it's been for the entire season today. Okay, that's interesting. And it, well, he made some of the worst interceptions. Uh, like it was, it was a you know, it was an up and down day for our guy Gino. But like the decision making on the picks, the second pick to, to Ramsey was just like, the fuck are you doing, dude? Right? Like it was one of those picks. It was like Zach Wilson, like where you're watching it and you're just like. Does this person even know how to play football? And we know that Gino does. We have a resume, right? We know that he's a starting caliber quarterback. That pick in particular was one of those ones where you're just like, what did you see there, right? And you get the highs and lows because he also delivered one of the most perfect passes he'd thrown all season for the touchdown to Tyler Lockett in this one. So Some of those bombs are, they're very pretty. There was a ball that he hit for uh, to DK that got broken up in the end zone in the first half where, I mean, Gino threw it again, the defender made a good play or whatever, but like Gino threaded that pass. And then made some big plays with his you know feet. The, you know, the play that I'm talking. that was the other thing is Gino running kind of unleashed a little bit, a little yeah. bit unleashed Gino. 
51 yards on the ground. And I will I mean, tell you, or go ahead. I mean, the Seahawks definitely, you know, you mentioned the running in the punter. Seahawks were on the right end of a lot of calls in the late stages I of this just, one. I'm sorry. I don't buy this. I'm fucking, it, it's really wild that a, a dialogue can be created outside of the stadium that is not happening inside of the stadium. Obviously, like. They're not showing the replays as many times when it's a call that goes in the Seahawks' favor. The Seahawks gained almost a yard, or over a yard per play more than the Rams did. They gained 130 more yards than the Rams did. They were a better team than the Rams were in this game. They probably should have won by significantly more in this game. Well, in regulation, they had two turnovers to the Rams, none. And a lot of those yards came after the running into the punter penalty. Like, the game looks materially different if that penalty isn't called. They still gain them, though. Like, I don't... Sure, yes, that happens. But, like, on a on a like you can basis, how I, they played the game. I agree that the Seahawks, from a process standpoint, played a better game. But as it turns out, you can play a better game and still lose. And they might that might have happened had it not been for some of those penalties. Now, obviously, the... The, the other the, thing, people were talking about the personal foul that Jalen Ramsey had against Gino on the sideline, right? And then the non-personal foul on DK Metcalf responding to that play. But first off, Jason Myers missed the field goal. Like, yes, I don't know. they did not end like, up scoring on that one. I, I, I guess you could complain about that, but, like, with the benefit of hindsight, it didn't fucking matter as far as the outcome of the game. Second off, I actually think, and I felt this in the moment when it happened, I thought it was a negative for the Seahawks when that happened because they got real tight after that. They did and get very conservative. We know what happens when you're kicking into the wrong end zone. The wind was kicking up down there, right? The the yeah. flag that was up at the top of the south end was blowing like crazy. It wasn't quite as much on the field, obviously, but like I think it's almost the wind is deceptive on the field sometimes. You could see that the wind was blowing a lot, right? And you get those moments when the seagulls are circling and the wind is blowing and you're like, this is... I, I mean, I knew that field goal wasn't going in, right? Just looking at the distance and what end zone he was kicking into, I think if Gino doesn't get that penalty, if he just goes out of bounds, I think they run better offense after that. I think they get a better field goal. I mean, maybe, but also they had no timeouts because the clock management in the second half was not ideal. The timeout management, oh. at least, was not ideal. <laughs> Uh, so winning can really make you forget about a lot of things. It it can. I agree. But let's <laughs> talk about some positives from this game. Uh, a third could see it was not the most efficient day for Ken Walker. The third didn't hit one of those big runs until overtime, but the Seahawks were able to consistently run the ball and get him over a hundred yards, 29 carries, which I'm sure is a career high uh, over a hundred yards for a third consecutive game. And that's one thing that I think makes you feel better about the offense going into the playoffs. Ken Walker found holes better than he's found holes. These last few weeks, he has found the hole. He's still going to shift, right? He's get, Ken Walker is going to do he, the thing he's going to do, but the way that he was attacking the holes that were there, the plays that end up really negative are the ones where he's trying to he's trying to make something out of nothing, right? But when there was a hole there for Ken Walker, he was he was hitting it for the most part. I thought he had a pretty good game. I think Ken Walker will end up being a good NFL running back. To the extent that you can be good or bad as a running back. And the other thing, I mean, defensively, the Seahawks generally played a very good oh, game. Oh, wait, wait. Obviously. There's one more thing offensively. That's our boy DJ motherfucking Dallas. Yes. Yes. The the Wildcat made the, an extensive the, experience, appearance without DJ Dallas throwing a pass, which was good. DJ, <laughs> he's going to have to at some point. <laughs> Look, there's maybe he already did against the Niners once. Uh, 
DJ Dallas, two carries for 29 yards. I guess one of those was for 27. But even he handed it off to Ken Walker on an eight-yard carry or whatever from that formation. The one thing the Seahawks did, not the one thing, they did a lot of things wrong in this game. But when the Seahawks were driving in the second half and ended up kicking a field goal, not going to the DJ Dallas Wildcat formation, they were not getting any push whatsoever. Ken Walker is not a short yardage running back, right? Ken, Ken Walker is a, if you need one yard, that is not who you call on. And, he's not a like, there's like, there's some running backs who are like, if you need four yards, he's going to get you three. If you need one yard, he's going to get you three. That is that is not Ken Walker the third. If you need one yard, he's going to get you negative two. That's Ken <laughs> it's Walker. It's just a high variability. It's, if you it's need no yards, he might get you eight. But you know who that short yardage running back is? Who's that short? <laughs> Nick Ballore? Nick Ballore! Yeah, but they did go to the Nick Ballore. First case, like, 2020. Right, love to see Uh, But. DJ Dallas, you get an extra blocker on the direct snap. Just give him the fucking ball. I th- I think they score a touchdown there if they give DJ one of those carries to the goal line, and they ended up not getting in. Quite possibly. Defensively, again, the Seahawks not playing a full-strength Rams team or anything close to it, but uh, holding the Rams to 5.7 yards per pass attempt before you account for the five sacks for 24 yards. On Baker Mayfield. Yes, sir. A pretty impressive performance. The Seahawks pass rush has been very hit or miss this season, and it was full on hit on Sunday. Bruce Irvin with a sack and a half, Daryl Taylor with another sack. There's Kobe one that Bryant. gave Bruce where I was like, I think that might be somebody else's sack. Boye Mafe getting in there for a sack, Kobe Bryant on a nickel blitz, and then uh, a I half sack for Uchenna Nuosa. And at the very end, Plundry Diggs. Diggs. Coming up, he's the Pro Bowler, Pro Bowl safety, coming up with a Pro Bowl play. Making a play to both. I mean, that ball, when you're watching in the stadium, it was coming in front of me. And I'm like, I had flashbacks of Josh Jacobs running for a touchdown. And it was like, Baker Mayfield, saw he saw the receiver running. I don't know, it was Tutu Atwell or somebody. But he saw the receiver running open. And I I don't fault Baker from making that throw necessarily. It's a similar thing, really, to what we saw Rodgers a couple times in this game. Where, where, no, it was so similar to the, the Rodgers interceptions. It was Van Jefferson was the intended receiver. That was Van, Van Jeff. Uh, but Q Diggs coming over, tracking that ball, covering tons of space, making the pick and, and ending the game. For the Seahawks, well, more or less. did not end the game, but it was a moment where we were starting to look up the scenarios of it. Hey, what happens if the Seahawks tie and the Lions and Packers also tie? Which is not a, not a way I would have wanted to watch. Sunday if the Seahawks tied and the Lions win, are the Lions in? Uh, the Lions would be in, yes. Uh, but if if they had tie, tied as well, that would have somehow sent the Washington Commanders <laughs> to the playoffs. Yes. I would have Powell, loved playoffs, the, the Commanders rising to, to life. <laughs> just like zombies emerging oh, from their grave. It's I the Undertaker meme. Yes. But then a solid eight play, 50 yard drive in OT to set up a much more bankable Jason Myers field goal. And he gets a chance to atone for his miss at the end of regulation. And improbably, the Seahawks are a playoff team. The matchup against the 49ers. Not ideal, given the way that San Francisco dominated two head-to-head games against the Seahawks in the regular season. Third times a charm. <laughs> I, I'm just saying, this is still Brock Purdy. It, like, it is Brock Purdy in the playoffs. It's going to be fascinating to see how that goes. 
I know that we're just we're writing this game off at this point, but this is Brock Purdy playing his first ever playoff game. Brock Purdy has been very good so far, right? Has statistically he been that good? Yes. Okay. Well, fuck Brock Purdy. <laughs> uh, Brock Purdy has been very good so far, but it's still like I all of the top teams of the AFC. You give me the Bills, the Chiefs, the Bengals, teams like that. I'm looking at this game and saying, there's no chance. The San Francisco 49ers, when you're just relying on defense and Brock Purdy, obviously their offense has been good. I think they scored 38 points today or whatever, right? It was against the Cardinals team that just wanted to go home. But they've been they've been consistently effective offensively since Purdy came into the lineup. I I do think I'm there is a chance. Would have preferred the Vikings? But there is a chance. The Seahawks have played this team a lot of times. They know them very well. On the flip side, the Niners know the Seahawks' defense very, very well. Defense has looked fairly good. Uh, honestly, Brock Purdy, by the Niners way, game. if you drop the minimum plays requirement, number 10 in EPA plus CPI composite this season, one spot behind Geno Smith, two spots behind Jimmy G. There you go. Uh, I, I'm just... I, I will go into any game confident or feeling like there's a chance. But this is one that I, the way that the Seahawks are running the ball, like they're going to go into this game saying to themselves, if they could get anything against the Niners. Last game they didn't. But were they without DJ Dallas? Were they without DJ Dallas? Probably. And Ken Walker just come back. Ken Walker the third, it was his yes first game back. I, I think they've kind of found a little something. I mean, it was before the turning point for Ken Walker the third at halftime against Kansas City. <laughs> yes. The Marshawn Lynch-esque turning point. Moment. Uh, I would assume statistically he's still been, he's been much better since then. Yes, but he has. Ha- having that moment, having the DJ Dallas Wildcat set obviously they tried the four running backs against the Niners in the first game but it was a long long time ago that that game happened Trey Lance started that game right? so long ago that was I mean you could basically that's last season the pass rush has been very very good we'll see what that looks like against the Niners but I'm just saying I think that the Seahawks can ugly this game up and make it even closer than the last one we'll see the only thing I don't like about it is that it is opposite the first games that I am coaching this year as a head basketball coach. I'm furious. Those kids are going to receive the smallest amount of coaching that any person has ever received. Right? Maybe we're talking, a, maybe, maybe we're a benefit talking for them. Straight up, Jeff Saturday style. That's it. I'm going in Saturday. On Saturday, I'm giving them the Jeff Saturday performance as a head coach. I'm going to be on my phone watching the game the entire time. I'm going to be like, defense, you go in, you go in. Offense, defense, have fun. Would you like to know the line, opening opening line for this game? Would you like Is to it, guess it? I'm going to guess... Bill and Cousin Sal style. Niners minus seven and... Seven and a half. It's nope. more? Higher. It's, it, did it get to double digits? It did get to double digits. <laughs> that is absurd. Niners minus 10. My ESPN colleague, Brady Henderson, Brady Henderson reports at the uh, Caesars Sportsbook by William Hill. I will tell you right now, these motherfuckers just gave Brock Purdy 10 points in the playoffs. <laughs> I'm just, 
like there you have to have a second of perspective uh we will have a full preview of this game of course coming in our weekly pod later on but in the excitement the jubilation of this night the Seahawks unexpectedly getting into the playoffs I I legitimately did not believe it was happening until that Aaron Rodgers interception probably I think was the first moment I really believed this is a playoff town Seattle well, this was a point. This was mentioned on Twitter. I don't I don't know if you saw this, if you've been scrolling through Twitter while we have been recording here. Let me uh, give it give this credit to the person who came up with it. Aditya Sood, this is the first time in history that the Seattle Seahawks and Seattle Mariners wow. have ever made the playoffs in the same season. How is that possible? Fucking go. It's your turn next, Kraken. Oh, wow, they're, they're they're looking pretty solid at the moment. They're looking pretty solid. Not a guarantee, but pretty solid. So, uh, again, we'll have more on all of these teams on the weekly pod. The Mariners actually signed a free agent, Woo! it seems. Things are looking up. Not to a 10-year contract, that's for sure. But uh, uh, for now, thanks so much for listening. monitored Shohei Otani. <laughs> thanks so much for listening, and thanks to the Lions. Thanks. Oh, another classic. <laughs> <laughs> Were people Not... wanting wanting a, a an emergency pod? Yeah, people liked the tweet. Yeah, two All people. Right. One other person retweeted it. We're good. <laughs> I think other people are feeling emotions about this game. No, it was very fun. Yeah, it was. I'm still pretty pissed about this time though. I thought it would be like Sunday. I was. That's what I was guessing. I, I literally was watching, and I was like, please not Saturday afternoon. Uh, I was just hoping it wasn't going to be opposite the Blazers game, so it was plenty to go to next weekend, so I'm just glad it was that. Sorry. Sunday afternoon would have been fine for me. I can't believe that I'm going to miss it. It's just like, what's, what's the point of even going to the playoffs if I can't watch? <laughs> I guess there's a chance of the team winning. There is that, yes. There, there's not been... I guess there have been some games that I haven't watched occasionally. The first half of the game of the game against the Browns last year. That Rams game that we almost weirdly won in Seattle when I was at Josh's wedding, when I was in Minneapolis. That's the last These haven't game been playoff I games. I mean, I haven't missed any playoff games since. Did, did, I don't know if you were watching Seahawks Dolphins with me back in the year 2000. Oh, I watched all of that one. Okay. There, Charlie Rogers return touchdown. There was... Yeah, no, I can't remember any playoff game that I've missed any. I mean, back in the 80s, you were alive and were not paying attention to the Seahawks playoff games. That would have been the last time that I didn't watch all of a Seahawks playoff. Not all, but, you know, the bulk of a Seahawks playoff game. Feels weird. Oh, you know what the last one was? It was the game that Romo dropped the... See, I couldn't remember if you were at that game or if you were at a UW game. I went to the USC game, UW-USC, and saw my boy Nick Easy. And I missed the beast quake because of the fact that I was at the UW men's basketball game against Oregon State that day. But everybody was celebrating in the stands because they were streaming it. I still think about the idea that I would go to a UW men's basketball game instead of watching a Seahawks playoff game. Like, that is unheard of. Uh, Life comes at you fast. (laughs) Well, not really. That was a long, long time ago. (laughs) Yes, it was. That was 16 years ago. 17 years ago? 17 years ago. No, it wasn't. 60. That was 16. No way. That was 16 years ago. It was the 2006 season. 
I remember that like it was like yesterday. I don't know if you're aware, but Tony Romo has been a broadcaster for many years now. It feels after like a it was long career five years ago. Wow, that's wild. <laughs> oh my God. Uh, the Beast Quake well, was 12 years ago. So it was so long ago that I missed a Seahawks playoff game that UW basketball was a good team. Exactly. Wow. <laughs> really makes you think. Literally can't even imagine it. Oh my God. Oh. All right.